Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the sixth episode of the Be With podcast, a podcast about the art and practice of care with me, your host, Barbara Roshana. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. It's been a couple months since I've done an episode, and that's because I really, really, really wanted to honor everything inside of me that said, wait, that said, not yet, that said, hold on just a little bit longer. And a couple days ago, I woke up and I knew that there was an episode that was wanting to come forward. And so I sat down and I wrote it out. And uh, now it's time to record it, which is so, so exciting. You and I are meeting in late November, um, and if you're listening to this later, you know I'm speaking to you from November 2018 at the end of a very long and for many people intense year, and uh, an intense year for me personally, to be honest, uh, as well. This year, my business grew more than I ever imagined, and my personal life also began to change in ways that... I think have been long time coming, but that I didn't necessarily imagine um, were going to be in the works. And so today is going to be an episode that's a lot of personal sharing, but that's also a conversation about trauma and holding space for trauma and uh, doing work around trauma. And actually, I'm thinking that likely the next few episodes, um, you know, whether each episode is about trauma or not, or whether trauma is just something that gets brought up every other episode, we're going to be doing a series on trauma as part of the podcast. So I'll be doing some speaking about trauma from personal experience from my coaching practice, but I'm also going to be bringing on other trauma-informed practitioners um, to talk about how we can support ourselves and support each other as we begin to unpack all that's part of our lives, including the experiences that are difficult or have left us feeling hopeless or lost. As the word trauma has come more into the mainstream, it's something that's being used a lot. Um, And I feel like there is a way that I want to host a conversation about how we do trauma work in a responsible way, how we do healing work in a responsible way, um, how we support others to move through places where they might still be stuck in a responsible way, and how we support ourselves to do that as well. Um, So that's kind of a little bit about where we're going to be going um, over the next few episodes or the next couple months, depending on, you know, the pace of this podcast. And as I record the episodes, um, for me, the top priority is always to record the right episodes um, with the right people rather than to be just putting out episodes every week, which by now you've probably figured out as it's been a couple months since my last episode. Um, So I'm not sure about the timing of this yet, but know that I'm putting a lot of thought and care into thinking about who I want to be part of this conversation and um, how I want this conversation to serve us. So yeah, but today I want to begin where all of us have to begin, which is with myself. We all have ourselves um, as kind of our beginning point and also as our end point. We are born with ourselves and we die with ourselves. That is our only person that we're with for our entire lives. Um, And so I want to begin from a really personal place. Um, I've mentioned on other podcasts, I believe, that I've had this quote with my wife for this year um, that comes from the um, 
from Lao Tzu that says, what the caterpillar saw as the end, the rest of the world saw as a butterfly. And that's been kind of our quote for 2018. Each year we pick a quote and we do a bunch of prints of it. And then we hand it out to our closest family and friends at our New Year's party, as well as in the weeks, just kind of after the new year. And it's a quote that we choose um, together based on intentions that we have for ourselves, um, personally, individually, but also that we have for ourselves as a couple. Um, and we're never set on how those intentions have to look. Like we're never picking the quote based on outcomes we want to create in our lives. We just pick the quote based on what feels really, really right and what feels like intuitively the correct things thing for us to be working on. And so often throughout the year, I'm very curious to see, hey, I wonder how this quote is kind of informing the work that I've been doing this year or the self-growth I've been exploring. And so this year has been no different. At the beginning of the year, I really felt like I kind of was like this really confident, uh, you know, caterpillar that was like strutting along and feeling really good about themselves. Um, I My business had grown and really exponentially in ways I could have never imagined I had some really awesome personal experiences like I got to travel to Joshua Tree and to Austin and though that was with work and with my coaching work personally it felt like a really big deal because it was the first time that I had planned a trip just for me without anyone else without having to do it for a boss or for a partner or for a family member's wedding this was a pl- trip I planned just for me which felt really pretty amazing um Tanya and I had just really gotten into the groove of Airbnb, so that was feeling really, really good. We were starting to feel really confident about our hosting skills, which for me is a big deal since um, one of our eventual dreams is to own a large Airbnb property um, or a large B&B property, really, where we can host people and host retreats um, and both host guests who just want to come visit, but as well as host, you know, couples weekends and retreats for different people wanting to work on their writing or on having a safe, um, sacred space to land. Um, and so, you know, our Airbnb was doing really well. We also had just been married for, I guess, six or seven months. And so we're still very much in that honeymoon stage of things where things felt really good and really exciting. Um, I was going through an exploration of some things that are personal to myself um, around eating, around my body, around my sexuality, around feeling good in my own skin. Um, So all these like really awesome things were happening. Things were looking up financially. I was feeling really good about how I've personally been learning uh, skills around money and financial management, but also how Tanya and I have been learning skills around financial management together and how smoothly that was flowing and debt repayment and all that stuff. Um, And so I felt like I was like this really, you know, awesome, steady caterpillar that was like moving along at a good click and things were really feeling good and really amazing. And then as the year went on, um, during this time in Joshua Tree, I did a breathwork meditation with Amy Kretzky, who is a friend. Um, And I got this beautiful vision, which I think I've mentioned on the podcast, of myself like kind of in this tomb covered in these like burial cloths. And I imagine myself losing these burial cloths and removing them from my body and then coming out of the tomb and there being like an entire field of, um, to be honest, like, you know, 
women uh, dressed in white, but really just an entire field of people and me standing at the top of the hill and kind of like looking out on them and speaking to them, uh, which felt like a really kind of wild, crazy visual to get because most of my intuitive information I received, I receive regularly via language and like via hearing things rather than seeing things. And so that was really cool for me. Um, And as I uh, got back to the city, you know, my practice was really booming and springtime and things were feeling really good. Um, But however, I would get to the end of every single day and I would sit on my couch, you know, after a day full of amazing clients and amazing life-changing work and have this feeling of like, is this it? Is Is this all there is? Is this all that's going on? And that feeling would just nag at me, you know, not like in a painful way, but just in this way of, of, kind of pointing my attention to like, hey, Barbara, there's something else in your soul that wants to be expressed and that wants to come forward. And so I spent, I began this process of kind of like pulling back the layers of my life and beginning to pull things apart and really get curious and get quiet and slow down my process enough to ask what's in here. Um, and so at this point, kind of like the cocoon stage began, you know, the, the caterpillar finds themselves, creates this cocoon for themselves. And then inside of that cocoon, they begin disintegrating. So one thing I've learned throughout this process is that caterpillars, when they are, you know, on their way to becoming a butterfly, they become total and complete mush. Um, and so I was really in this process of disintegrating, you know, Things I thought I believed about myself, things I thought that had to be true about my business, um, things that I thought had to be true about how I eat, how I have sex, how I um, deal with my feelings, how I relate to my community, how I run my business, how I, you know, I basically started pulling all of it apart and kind of laying it all in front of me and asking, does this, does this, is this it? Does this make me happy? Is this what it? what feels right? Does this feel in alignment with who I actually am and what I actually want? Um, And, you know, that started happening kind of in late spring and happened all throughout the summer. And I talked a little bit about this on the last episode of uh, when I said, you know, what to do when you have more questions than you have answers. And began this period, long period, you know, I would say long in the sense that it felt long then. Now it doesn't feel so long that I look back on it. But, you know, this period of like, I'm going to say four to six months of really pulling things apart and not knowing where I was going and not knowing how things were going to end up and letting myself really slow down and really stop holding on to outcomes of what things had to become. Because one of the things that happens, I'm guessing, when you're a caterpillar and you become mush is like, I mean, you know, this sounds so wild to say out loud, and I I think it's such a funny example, but really, like, if you think about it, a caterpillar literally has to die. A caterpillar literally has to stop existing, has to become all this mush raw material to become a butterfly. So not only is it really an end for the caterpillar, but, like, there's an end of the consciousness. There's, like, an end to the consciousness that was a caterpillar, and now that has to get reformulated back into a butterfly. And so... There's this kind of like willingness to die to self. There's this willingness to die to our ideas of what our lives 
had to be. There's this kind of willingness to fully surrender and submit to the process. And so for me, there was so much work that I had to do around navigating my ego that didn't want to slow down and that didn't want to give up control and that didn't want to surrender to a process of becoming. And throughout this time, I I did a lot of journaling um, in my you know, notebook. Um, And one of the practices I like to keep is that I write to my intuition and then I have my intuition write back. Sometimes I call it my intuition. Sometimes I call it my guides. Um, But I kind of have this conversation back and forth. And for all these months, the, the kind of intuitive prompt I kept receiving back was like, trust your becoming, like surrender to your becoming, like you're in a process of becoming. And Now that I think about it in the metaphor of the caterpillar and really break it down piece by piece, like the becoming happens when you are unconscious mush waiting to be formed into something new. Um, And so this has been kind of like so much, so much of my process for the last, you know, four or five months um, or yes, up until about a month ago. Um, and then maybe about a month and a half ago, something started to shift, something started to change. Um, I didn't make a podcast about it because I didn't know where it was going. And so it felt so funny just to come on air and be like, so I still don't know where this is all going, but, um, something's changing and I can't tell you what it is. And so I chose not to make a podcast about it, but I did talk a little bit about it on my Instagram. Um, and so something inside of me started to shift and change towards a different kind of evolution process. Um, and this is what I'm going to be talking about today is that next stage after we go through the mush of being a caterpillar and we move towards this process of, you know, having, having kind of like become, or having been in the process of becoming from like the most raw material to like, then slowly beginning to form structure around the self, beginning to form identity around this new self that we're coming into. What's the process there like of strengthening that identity of putting muscle and bone and flesh to that new identity and incarnating into something new that we have never been before. And so what was really interesting is that I got one of the things I did is I got back into therapy this past, I guess, in the last two or three months. Um, I'd been out of therapy for, I don't know, maybe for about a year and a half. Um, And therapy is something that I think is really important for practitioners who do any sort of emotional labor to have. Um, So to have a space where you just get to like, you know, let down your hair, emotional hair, and really be taken care of and know that there is no responsibility for you to do emotional labor for anyone else at all. I think that's really crucial. Um, And it's something I didn't do for about a year and a half. And I respect my reasons for not doing it. You know, I think I really needed, or not even a year and a half, a year and three months or something. Um, I think I really needed a space where I felt like I kind of just like got to be fully my own person or my own leader, I guess you could say. Not that therapy is something that leads you or guides you, it just gives you a safe space where you can lead yourself. But nonetheless, it felt important for me to have that individuated time outside of therapy to seek out other forms of support. Like I did a lot of massage therapy, a lot of body work, a lot of Reiki, you know, other forms of energetic support during that year. But I got back into therapy a couple months ago. And one of the things that my therapist enlightened me on as I'm, you know, on this caterpillar mush butterfly journey is that if you break open a cocoon, 
once the butterfly is done being formed, so it's no longer mush, it's the butterfly, but if you break it open for the butterfly, the butterfly will not survive. Part of the butterfly's becoming process is to break open the cocoon and force itself out. That is literally what builds the muscle strength of the butterfly making it out of the cocoon and having the strength to then fly its glorious self everywhere in the air. And so over the last couple months, what I realized I've been doing is I've been doing that strengthening work of like busting out of the cocoon and starting and like, and like developing the muscles that are going to be necessary in order for me to do the flying that is ahead of me. And this is where trauma comes in. Boom, boom, boom. Um, so one thing I've been exploring lately is language around trauma, um, and how I think and talk about trauma, because it became obvious to me sometime at the end of the summer that what was going on is I was doing this like deep groundwater personal work, um, and that work that probably had to do something with grieving or trauma. And I didn't know what exactly it was because I couldn't dive because often sometimes when we're believe it or not but sometimes when we're doing really deep healing work we might not actually be able to feel it or understand it on the surface there's just something happening down below if we allow it to happen and then what happens is that over time it slowly starts arising to the surface of like hey this thing needs healing and this thing needs healing and this thing needs healing and you finally created space enough for you to bring these things up god bless you basically is what our system does. And so that's what my system's been doing is it said, oh, thank God this summer you actually created enough space for all these things to come up to the surface and get healed. And so let's make it happen. Let's let's bring the stuff up from the bottom of the depths up to the surface for healing. And so over the last few months, um, as I've been kind of allowing those things to bubble up to the surface to be healed, um, I've realized a lot of what's bubbling up is actually trauma responses. So, and sometimes we have different language for these things. Sometimes, you know, we will mislabel something as a limiting belief when actually it's a trauma response. And other times the opposite will happen. Um, We'll call something trauma when actually it might be I mean, I want to be careful with that one because I think most of the time we do the opposite. Most of us I'm just going to stand here and say this. Most of us do the opposite. Most of us call things not that hard when they're actually trauma. Most of us call things limiting beliefs or getting in our own way when they're actually trauma getting in our way. And yes, we're getting in our way, but it's because we have trauma there that's unhealed and that's stuck in the body and stuck in the nervous system and is not letting us move forward because some part of us is afraid we're going to die or the past is going to be repeated or you know, whatever, we we don't have closure or completion with whatever thing happened in our lives to create the trauma in the first place. And so over the last couple months, what's been happening is that I've been actively, um, in, in the term that, you know, recently I've, you know, been using partially also because of therapy, God bless therapy, in case, you know, this could be a commercial for anything, let it be a commercial for therapy. Um, what, Part of what my process has been is that I've been activating some of my trauma um, on purpose in order to bring it forward and let it be healed. And I've been letting things in my environment also activate my trauma so that my trauma could be healed. And so, you know, I kind of, I want to be, 
I want to be cognizant here of the fact that there's there are times when we are triggered by things in our environment um, and that make us feel not safe and then bring our trauma forward up to the surface. And that is not a healing experience. So when we are triggered, that's about us being thrown back into the memory of the trauma or the feeling of the trauma. Sometimes the memory doesn't even come back. It just comes up as like a physical response, visceral response or emotional response. One of those two or those two often together. And we are triggered. Um, Our nervous system is dysregulated and we basically have to kind of like cope our way through back to regulation But that is not a healing experience. That is just an experience of being triggered. In contrast, what I'm talking about is activating our trauma for the purposes of healing it um, and activating it for the purposes of bringing it up to the surface so that we can move fully through the experience and heal it. Now, in this context, the way I'm talking about trauma is I am talking about it as something that gets lodged in the body or in the nervous system or in the emotional response system. Um, that we have not seen through to completion or closure um, and that's gotten stuck because there was no opportunity for safety. So I'm talking about experiences where we might have had to, uh, let's say we experienced something difficult, whether this was a single thing like a car accident or years of, uh, let's say, neglect within our household when we were children or years of um, emotional abuse or verbal abuse or sexual abuse, um, you know, that we might have experienced when we were young or even later as adults. But when we're young, it extra complicates things. Because what happens in that moment of trauma is that we're not able, our nervous system is not fully able to process the difficulty that is happening because all of our All of our system has to be geared towards survival. Um, And so we don't fully process what's happening in that time. We don't reestablish safety. We don't regulate our nervous system in the moment. And so that trauma gets buried somewhere literally in our bodies or in our nervous systems or in our brain programming um, or in kind of the way we deal with our emotions. And that gets lodged somewhere uncompleted. Um, and therefore, in the future, when things come up that either remind us of that situation or simply literally fit, like literally just trigger, like touch that part of our nervous system, we can get that trauma response can return and we can kind of be like plunked down into the middle of the trauma. Um, but if we have not learned the coping mechanisms Um, healthy coping mechanisms, if we've not learned how to hold space for ourselves, if we do not have the appropriate support, whether of a therapist or of a community um, or supports we have set up for ourselves to actually stay with that difficulty um, and allow ourselves to go through all the steps that are necessary to heal a trauma and different traumas need different types of healing experiences. You know, some are more somatic, some are more, you know, talk it out. Some are more about grief, like we could need a million different things. And one of those things could be time. Like, right. So like, it's also like, not like we can just heal from a trauma right away. Like some of those things just take a long time. Sometimes it takes a long time to process something really difficult that happened. Grief 
takes a really long time. So when grief gets triggered, that's not something we're just going to process no matter how much support we have in one afternoon because part of what supports grief is time because we're kind of like constantly looping through, you know, the different stages of grief and the different processes of it and the different processes of letting go. And so knowing all that, um, I kind of want to create this differentiating factor between having our trauma be, having us be triggered in our trauma and having our trauma be something that is activated and brought forward to the surface to be healed. Um, And, you know, kind of the same experience can make either thing happen. We can either be triggered or activated, um, but how we're able to hold space for ourselves or hold space for another, the kind of supports we have available to us, that's what makes that either an activated experience of trauma or triggered experience. And so that's kind of, I think, something really, really important to, yeah, explore. And that's what I want to explore um, next, which is that I have kind of been doing these four different things um, to hold space for myself when my trauma is activated. And um And these are just a few things that I've been exploring and working on. Now, if you're interested in learning more about how you can hold space for yourself or for another in a more trauma-informed way, I am going to be launching um, a program very soon called the Be With Initiation. It'll be starting up in January, on January 2nd. Um, And it's either a three-month program or a six-month program, depending on whether you are a practitioner or you just want to learn these skills for yourself um, or whether you have the budget for the six-month program or not or how much support you're looking for. Um, So, you know, This is just really me sharing from my own personal experience over the last few weeks. These are the notes I chose to jot down for today, but I have, I have lots that I want to explore about this and teach about this, um, that I will be teaching about this in the upcoming program, um, which I'm really, really excited about. It's a, yeah, and I'll probably do a whole podcast just telling you about it because I'm so stoked about it. Um, but for now I kind of want to begin with this, but just, keeping it in context that this is really just a very small mm, peek into what a trauma-informed healing process looks like. Um, And it's also a very particular peek because it's a peek into my process, my personal process over the last six weeks. That's what we're looking at. We're looking at Barbara's life over the last six weeks and just four of the like probably dozen things or more that I've been doing to take care of myself as my my trauma gets activated and I have to move through, um, not have to, but I'm choosing to move through those experiences in a healing way. So yeah, so there we go. Um, so I'm going to start by sharing something, you know, I'm kind of going in order, I guess, here of what I wrote down. And the first thing that I want to share is that um, I've been trying to use a lot of different types of cues for myself. Um in order to remember and be reminded of the fact that I am in a healing process um, and that I might need extra reminders of affirmation um, for myself because when we are actively working with our trauma triggers and our trauma work, it is hard. It's really hard and it's easy, really easy for our inner critic to get all up loud in our brains because it's afraid of what's happening because triggering our, you know, activating our trauma can be really scary because 
we're activating those parts of us that feel really young sometimes, that feel really helpless. Um, and so even if our lives are going tickety-boom, inside of us, there is a fear that can be very predominant and very loud if we're working with trauma experiences. And so it's important to create a lot of visual reminders uh, for ourselves to remember, like, this is a time. This is not forever. Um, and how am I going to support myself through this time? What affirmations do I need? What does that mean? And for everyone, that's going to look like different things. For some people, it's just going to look like sticky notes up on walls saying you are enough. Um, you know, you are loved. This isn't forever. This too shall pass. Um, you know, this is partially why I created my deck of cards for self-care because I think that we need these physical reminders to support us in the moments when we feel dysregulated and up feels like it's down and down feels like it's up. And so, um, yeah, so I think that's really, really important. And uh, for me, what I've been using actually is, you know, cutouts from magazines, which is you know, simple enough, um, posters, but also I actually created myself a little, um, piece of paper based on a reading I had with Lindsay Mack a number of months ago. She's a brilliant, uh, trauma-informed tarot teacher who I really love and whose work I follow quite closely and who kind of has taught me so much about my own tarot practice. And I had a personal, you know, session with her a few months ago, and I I made a lot of notes during the session, I think something like 10 or 12 pages of notes, um, which is a lot, a lot to look at. Like, that's not something I'm going to revisit every day. Um, but then I decided to do something fun, and I made myself a cheat sheet. I love making notes for myself that I pair with little drawings is just something I've always loved doing. And so we had this conversation about how I'm in this process where I'm in this like one tree and I'm getting ready to move across to a different tree. Um, and that spirit is building the zip line to move me from one tree to the other. And my work is to be in the tree I'm in right now and to use the medicine of that tree and to do the healing I need to do in that tree. And that spirit's work is to build the zip line to get me to where I'm supposed to go. That's not my work. And I remember this was such a powerful metaphor that Lindsay created for me in our session that I just really, really got into and really resonated with because trees are so, I don't know, they're, they're just so grounding for me, for most of us, but they're, it's such a big part of my spiritual practice to sit and look at a tree up against the sky and see the leaves move or the winter branches move. It's just, that's kind of like one of the main ways that I connect with source, especially in the middle of the city. And so I, uh, yeah, so I, I decided to draw it a little tree and then like to draw it a little zip line from it leading into like a blank space, even though she said it's taking me to another tree, but like into a blank space. And, um, and I made a list of four things on the piece of paper. I made a list of things that I, that is my work. What is my work in this situation, which is be in the tree you're in now, see what medicine is available for you now, you know, um, and then I'm thing number two was what is spirit's work and spirit's work is like to take me to the next tree. Spirit's work is to clarify the next step for me at each point of the way. Um, spirit's work is to be, yes, yeah, to be really clear with me when I feel like I'm confused. I'm allowed to ask spirit for clearer direction. Um, 
And then I wrote number three, what I'm already doing really well. And I wrote out the things Lindsay and I talked about that I'm doing really well in this like deep process of becoming. And also, I guess I had been doing in the process of unbecoming, unbecoming the caterpillar, you know. Um, And then number four, like was just like, no, thank you. No, thank you to this. No, thank you to that. And it was like a clear list of boundaries I was needing to create in my life for myself um, and for my practice and for everything I was working on. Now, this list is obviously very specific to me and my own affirmations, my own reminders of what I needed to be made aware of, I guess. But the truth is that each of us is going to need our own reminders during times of being activated in our trauma or unpacking our trauma to keep us rooted and grounded in the day-to-day world in ways that is really important to us and resonates with us specifically. What works for someone else might not be the thing that works for us. And I think this is about um, getting creative and how we support ourselves through times of big work, deep personal work, um, that sometimes is going to mean sitting down and painting watercolor. And sometimes it's going to mean making a lot of really long, slow meals and not being tied to those things, having quote unquote productive outcomes. You know, this little cheat sheet that I made for myself, the productive outcome was being able to have a sigh of relief. (sighs) That That was the productive outcome of it, was that I could refer to it and I could have a sigh of relief. I could depend on it uh, to be there for me as I was riding these big waves, as I was facing up against that big, loud voice inside and that big fear inside. I had something to keep me reminded of what I actually believe and what I have grown into believing. Now, the second thing that I've done for myself as the trauma has been getting activated is something I've actually already mentioned, which is go back to therapy. Um, And specifically this time when it came time to go back to therapy, I sought out a practitioner that was very somatic, which means that I'm working with someone who's very, very body-based. Now, what's interesting is that my work with clients is super body-based. We do a lot of dropping into the body and listening to where there are things stuck inside of the body that need some attention. So I do lots of like, okay, we're up in the heads. We're trying to problem solve. None of that's helping. Can we just take a breath? Let's close our eyes, drop down to where the tension is. And I'm going to hold space for you while you listen for what does that tension have to say? If it could speak right now, what would it say? Okay, here's what it would say. Anything else? What does it need from you? Okay, great. Can we meet that need? So I do a lot of somatic body-based work. Um, sometimes this is work that's even outside of kind of the language realm. If the person doesn't use words to describe what they're experiencing, but uses images or feelings or sensations. Uh, and however... All the practitioners I've worked with, or at least the last, I guess over the last few years, have been very much um, folks who use language a lot. Um, My training, Gestalt Psychotherapy, is in a fairly somatic modality, but primarily I've seen practitioners who, with whom I do a lot of talking. And so this time I really sought out a practitioner that was much more somatic and could go slow with me into the arena of trauma and could do it in a way where she understands that um, not every session is going to be digging up work because that would be a speed of working at, which would be totally unbearable, um, but that, you know, I want to move at a pace that, you know, is quite 
intensive because I'm somebody who does this professionally, but that I also need to be able to slow it down and be clear on, um, yeah, that some sessions are maybe actually just us talking about congratulating me on the work we've done in past sessions and some grounding work to regulate my nervous system. And maybe that's all we do. And this has been a really big deal for me because I'm someone who pushes myself pretty hard. Um, and that's something that I've been unlearning a lot of in the last few years is what does it mean to live in a way where I'm not always pushing? What does it mean to live in a way where I'm not always hustling? What does it mean to actually trust that I'm going to be taken care of, that I am love that I have everything I need, that I'm safe, most importantly. This is something that's really big for a lot of us who have trauma is just trusting our basic safety in the world can feel like a Herculean task. So that's something I've been just working my tail off over the last few years is feeling safe in my life and in my world. And so, you know, getting into this work with her felt like a really big personal challenge because, you know, therapy isn't cheap. Um, I know my services aren't cheap. And to be able to set aside the kind of money that I am while Tanya and I are still pretty in pretty aggressive debt repayment felt like a really big deal to literally say, you know what, I'm going to set aside money to go and have these sessions. And some of them are going to be quote unquote work, like we're going to do trauma work. And others are just going to be like, talking about how well I'm doing and me laying on her couch and us listening to my breath and feeling sensations in my body and just regulating my nervous system and that's it. Now what's funny is that I say like oh just that as if I don't know that that's some of the most important work you can do when you are activating your trauma and you're learning to heal that shit because that is literally how we learn safety in this world is we learn it in our bodies. We learn it by changing our autonomic responses, you know, in the world and reprogramming our brains so that it feels like just being is enough and that's a safe thing to experience and a safe thing to invest our energy in. And so that has also been a part of my learning is like, what does it mean for me to set aside the money and the time to make space for practicing everything I preach um, in a really gentle, really loving, non-outcome-based, success-based way, but in a way where I just get to say, this is something I deserve to make space for. This is something I deserve to heal. This is something I deserve to feel better about. This is something I deserve to practice with the support of someone else. Now, in connection with that is actually the third thing that I've been doing, which if you follow me on Instagram is probably the thing you've been most aware of, which is moving my body. This has been absolutely crucial to the process of my becoming and the process of me, you know, spreading my wings, using my wings to bust out of the cocoon and feeling the intensity of that new way of being in the world that is about healing the places where I hold myself back, healing those trauma responses and instead choosing to believe something else is possible. And moving my body has been central to this because it has required me to tune in. It has given me the opportunity to tune in and make my own inner thermometer and barometer or whatever we want to call it, my own inner compass guide the deciding factor 
for everything um, by beginning with intuitive movement, which really for me has meant like putting on some music, closing my eyes, closing the blinds, getting in the middle of my living room, lying on my back and just giving myself as many songs as are needed for me to drop out of what does this look like and drop into what does this feel like? What am I feeling? What do I want to be doing right now? What motion would feel really good in my chest, in my hips, in my legs, in my kneecaps? What would feel pleasurable? What would what it needs a stretch? What needs a pull? What needs a tug? What anxiety needs to be expressed through a shake? What grief needs to be shaken out in my head? You know, what rage needs to be pushed against as I push against a wall? Um, and, I, you know, so much gratitude here goes to Sophie Luxton, who is a, a movement teacher that I have had the privilege to work with and who taught on my last retreat. This kind of opportunity to trust our own inner body's wisdom to hold us and move us. Um, and the, the reason this is so, so, so important is because I think it is the most tangible way we can begin, all of us, to work with self-trust. I think working with other forms of self-trust can feel really scary, especially when it comes to trauma. So part of actually undoing trauma or healing trauma when it is activated in us is that we need to trust our responses to the trauma. I'm going to give you an example. Um, We need to trust the emotional response, which might include grief, which might include feelings of worthlessness. We need to fully validate those responses and say those are completely appropriate for what I experienced and they're totally okay and I'm totally safe to feel them because the point is we didn't get to feel them earlier. That's why they got stuck. So the way we heal them is to let us ourselves fully feel those things, fully trust them. But that, my friends, is absolutely petrifying. It is like one of the scariest things we can possibly do. So a safe training ground for this, a safe practice ground is our bodies. Because with our bodies, like what's the craziest thing your body is going to do? Ask you to slam with your fists on a wall? Congratulations, put a pillow in between and make sure the neighbors aren't home. You know, the thing about letting our body do what it wants to do is it allows us to physically feel the positive consequence of trusting our desired motion and then seeing how good it feels afterwards. So like, oh, I just want to ride my hips into the ground right now or my tailbone into the ground while I lie, lie on my back with my knees up. Let yourself do that. I've been letting myself do this and it's been such a great physical, you know, embodied incarnate reminder of the fact that I get to trust myself and it does lead to me feeling better and me healing. Um, It's also really powerful on days when my trauma is really activated and I can't, I mean, I can't seem to move the feeling through, right? So I get stuck in the feeling. Let's say the feeling that comes up is grief and I get stuck in the grief for like day after day after day. Though grief, you know, is something that's that might be really, really long and might take a really long time to heal. Um, if I'm finding myself stuck in it, then moving might help me move enough of the grief through my body that I can do some part of that healing work without getting lost in it and without feeling like I'm going to be in it forever. Because, you know, if 
you know, our, the, the trauma that happened to us created grief and we didn't get to feel the grief because there wasn't space for it. And now we've got these like unending buckets of grief inside of us. It might take a long time for all of that grief to be felt through and moved through. Um, and so we might not be able to heal all of it at once. That's fine. If we can move parts of it through our body and our nervous system at a time, then each time we re-enter that work, we will start to feel safer. And each time our grief is triggered, each time our trauma is triggered, we will start to feel safer and we will start to know, hey, I can handle this. I have got capacity to handle this piece of work in my life right now. Um, so yeah, so that's why movement has been such a powerful thing. It's also just really powerful because it is one of the simplest ways we can actually regulate our nervous system. It's also one of the most important ways we can regulate our nervous system. We have to work with the body. There is no other way. You know, we can work with language. We can work with visualization. We can work with our breath. We can work with, um, spiritual practices. I think it's really important. And one of those things has to be the body that has to be included in the equation. And so finding ways to work with our body, whether that's something that's, you know, created by someone else, like a yoga sequence, or that's created by ourselves, like, you know, intuitive movement, finding ways to, to use and to nourish our bodies that to trust our bodies can be very, very healing when we're working through trauma responses. And then the last thing that I've been doing is actually that I've been following my, and I, when I wrote this now and I said educational curiosity, which I think is kind of a funny term for it. Um, but, you know, I knew I was doing trauma work months ago, kind of like I mentioned it. And I knew that I couldn't rush through this work, that I had to do it in a respectful way of myself. Um, but I also knew that I wanted to know more about what was actually happening in my brain. Now, I have, you know, studied psychotherapy, so I have some um, some book knowledge, but not every psychotherapist is trauma-informed or trauma-focused. Those are kind of two different categories of um, what it means to have a private practice that where you've done your studies and your clinical practice um, towards working with folks with trauma in a safe, responsible, supportive way. Um, so just to say like someone who is trauma focused is someone who is like the, the most you can be trained to support folks with trauma is if you're trauma focused. So literally that means it's your focus. You have done extensive education, um, an extensive clinical practice in order to make sure that you can support folks with trauma. Being trauma informed just means that you, um, have worked to have your practice be built in a way that is informed by the existence of trauma and that is informed by how to create safety for your client in the client-therapist relationship um, in order to support that person to actually heal without re-traumatizing them. Um, and so a coaching practice can also be trauma-informed even if it's not a therapy practice because it's about setting up a safe enough container in your service-based work in order for you um, to support someone without re-traumatizing them and also taking their trauma into consideration so that their, their process, whatever you're supporting them with, even if it's a job search, is more holistic, knowing that there's certain roadblocks you're going to hit with a person, not because you're doing anything wrong in what you're trained in, which might be, you know, like... Um, 
I don't know, some sort of like focusing process or body work or um, maybe a specific coaching technique, like coactive coaching, you know, like maybe it's not about the limitation of the kind of work you're doing with them. Maybe it's about the trauma they've experienced. And so learning how to come up the against the edge of that and hold space enough of it for it enough so that you can refer them to the right kind of practitioner to actually be able to do that healing work so they can come back to you and you can take them through your process further on, you know? Um, but so obviously as I was going through this process, I noticed myself getting really curious about certain books and training courses about trauma and then getting really turned off by other things that I previously had been excited by or tuned into. Um, and so the fourth thing I've been doing as I've been experiencing activations of my trauma and stuff coming up to the surface to be healed is that I've been really kind of in the same way that I've been following my body knowledge that like right now let's um, jump and right now let's shake and right now let's groove and let right now let's bounce when I'm doing intuitive movement in the same way I've been doing that with my research based, you know, discoveries. Um, I knew I was going to be building some sort of training program for 2019 that had become clear to me, you know, like in December of 2017, I got the vision for kind of what a training program eventually would look like, you know, um, or that, that it was going to be born. I just had no idea what it was going to look like. I had no idea that the initiation was going to look like how the initiation now looks like, cause I'm getting ready to launch it, but I knew something was coming. I knew I was going to create it. And, so in beginning, you know, like doing my research for how the program was going to be built, I put that actually on the back burner and it put my work on the front burner. But then, of course, as I was doing my work, my self-healing work, my personal development work and trauma kept coming up to the surface and I kept being like, oh, fuck, what's happening with this part of my brain? Why am I having this kind of response? What what do I need here? What do I need there? Kind of as I used myself as my own guinea pig for even deepening my practice, my space holding practice, um, as I've been talking about it lately, really, um, I realized that I needed certain forms of knowledge and support and information in order for me to be able to take care of myself well. And so that really became the priority. And that meant some voices faded into the background that I've listened lots to and others that I had kind of kept at the fringes really came forward to the front. Um, and that's been really, really interesting and really, really powerful because it's made space for curiosity. And curiosity is one of those things that most folks who are actively being triggered in their trauma don't have a lot of space for. Most of us don't move towards curiosity. We move towards problem solving because problem solving makes things feel manageable. It makes things feel like there's an obvious solution to the problem I'm facing. And it makes things feel a little more black and white, a little more like, well, this is figure outable, which is, I think, supportive. I mean, I like that second phrase. This is figure outable. It's supportive and important, but emotionally, if we can't get to that place where we feel like this is figure outable, then usually that's a sign that there's trauma there. And Curiosity then therefore is very helpful, but curiosity is both very helpful and both petrifying because curiosity has no specific outcome. It has no, like, for the most part, curiosity, like, isn't the thing we do if we want to make a shit ton of money because there's not necessarily, like, 
a product at the end that we get to with curiosity, with a curious experience where we're like, I can now sell this thing. Sometimes there is, but there isn't always because curiosity isn't based on achieving something or getting somewhere. It's based on the journey. It's based on exploration. It's based on lots of open questions. And so what I loved about this kind of fourth point, you know, is that I have given myself the opportunity and the freedom to follow my curiosity, which is really a skill that becomes available to you when you start healing your trauma responses. Um, And so it's like both the thing that becomes available to you and a tool to get to more of the same thing. Um, And so that's been really, really lovely and really interesting for me is that like at times I felt kind of like I've even noticed myself feel a little afraid of following my curiosity because like the fear is like, what if I do it wrong comes up? And that's where I have to remind myself like, hey, that's like parts of me having internalized a message that there is a way to do this wrong. And the fact is there actually isn't like my, the way I do it is the way that I'm doing it. And so therefore it is my own healing journey and I get to decide what my healing journey looks like. And I get to own that and celebrate it. For many of us who live with unresolved trauma, the reason we're so afraid of doing it wrong is because we're afraid of making a mistake. Um, And we're afraid of being punished for it. We're afraid of losing love because of it. We're afraid of not having secure attachment in our life because of those mistakes. We're afraid of losing out on an opportunity. We're afraid that means we're not good enough. You know, there's like, there, there's a million kinds of fears that could come up for you based on your own experiences with trauma and what, what those experiences kind of made you believe. And so I just want to really want to be gentle with that. And, and you know, encourage you to be really, really gentle with yourself. Yeah, as I as I finish up kind of the four things I've been doing for myself, I, I do want to name that I talked about some heavy stuff today. Um, you know, for the most part, I tried to keep it pretty practical. But the truth is, we can't talk about trauma without talking about things that are difficult for a lot of us that we carry around. Um, and that are often actually so difficult and buried so deeply down that we might only see symptoms of it in our lives. Um, and I realized something, I, I paused this episode halfway through um, to go decorate my Christmas tree um, and listen to the first half of it. And as I was re-listening to the first half, I realized that, you know, the kinds of experiences I named in terms of trauma, I, I talked about, you know, childhood neglect, abuse. Um, I talked about car accidents. But I also want to name that everything I'm talking about, we can apply to trauma at large, meaning not just um, violent trauma or, you know, individual trauma. I also want you to know that this applies to systemic trauma as well. And the systemic trauma is also individual trauma. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about being a woman in rape culture um, and the trauma that all of us live with um, when we are taught from a very young age to not go out at night alone, scantily clad, Um, because that is dangerous. And that does make us feel helpless as adult women, um, often, you know, until we figure out how to, how to work with it. Um, But that is a systemic form of trauma that most women have, and have experienced and, and also lots of other identity markers, you know, but I'm using women just in this, in this case, specifically in terms of misogyny and patriarchy, you know, and I think this is really, really important to remember is that all of us are living with trauma. And I know that's not sometimes an easy thing 
for those of us who are living with more violent or more childhood trauma to remember. But the truth is that the world at large is living with trauma. And we, at this time collectively, are beginning to kind of like open up the lid on the trauma that most of us are living on. And we're looking straight into the heart of the Pandora's box. And it is shit scary and painful. And that's why so many people right now are having such a difficult time um, managing themselves, their emotions, their lives, because it is scary to look at the Pandora's box if you've never had been given the skills or tools, first, to even understand what you're looking at and to know that that is trauma. And second of all, to hold space for it to come up and to heal. And in many ways, I think so much of my professional work as a coach is dedicated to this work. And will continue to be dedicated to this work, even as I kind of let myself explore other things in other parts of my life. And I get to expand my own bubble of who I am as I heal traumatic experiences I've had. Um, I know that so much of my professional work is about taking all that internal healing I've done and bringing it outward and saying, here, this is possible. This is possible for you. This is possible for your clients. This is possible for me. This is possible for us. Um, let's heal together. Let's get better together. And so, yeah, so that's a little bit about trauma and activating our trauma, um, being triggered in our trauma with the difference between those two is just four things I've been doing to take care of myself. Um, I'm so glad you listened to today's episode. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to be wrapping this up just under an hour, which makes me feel pretty happy. Um, very soon I will be releasing news about the Be With Initiation. I would love to have you join me um, as part of the program. I will probably try and record a, a short episode just about the program for anyone who wants more information and release that soon. Um, and stay really gentle and curious with yourself as you wrap up this episode depending on what you're doing see if you can give yourself a couple minutes just in quiet to check in with yourself and maybe pay attention to your physiology like how's your breathing how's your heart rate you know how much of your weight are you actually letting the chair underneath you hold um are you hungry do you need a nap do you feel tired sometimes when we're tired that's a sign of being triggered or activated um or if we feel really anxious both are um, is there anybody you want to have a conversation with about this episode? Do you want to send the episode to them and have a conversation with them about it? Do you want to, um, send it to your therapist maybe? Do you want to, uh, just journal about this and take some time to do that now? Or do you want to set aside time to do it tonight? Maybe send a message to your partner or your roommates saying, hey, tonight I want to take some time to journal. So, um, you know, just FYI, like after dinner, I'm going to have some quiet time. Um, yeah. How do you want to take care of yourself after listening to this? Or how do you want to maybe get curious and get curious with yourself about how you want to incorporate some of the stuff in your life or how some of this is already happening in your life and you're just hearing it reflected back through my story? I'm not sure, but I'm going to encourage you to take a moment and uh, check in and really get curious about that. So yeah. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Um, if you got something out of this podcast, I would really love it if you reviewed it um, on iTunes and you know gave it a great rating. Um, I would love it if you shared this podcast with someone else. And I also would really love it if you shared it on Instagram. Um, getting the good word out is 
always possible through people and through communities of people. Um, and I would absolutely love to have you share about this podcast with your people. It would be such an honor to me. Um, I'd be so grateful. Thank you so much for listening today. And I hope you get all the support you need uh, to feel well today and taken care of and that this world continues to feel like a more safe, beautiful, loving place for you to continue to grow up in alongside me. Bye. Bye.